Epistle reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 4, and it will serve as the sermon text for today. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Is this the blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message comes from our epistle lesson from Romans chapter 4, read by the vicar just a few moments ago. Well, early on in our marriage, my wife Gail and I contracted with the builder to build our first home. During the construction of that home, we learned about that concept called a load-bearing wall. You see, our contractor had a unique way of building a small home. He used trusses that sat on the foundation for the first floor and then trusses that sat on the walls of the second floor so that he could carry the load of the roof and the entire house down to the foundation, which then transferred that deep beneath the frost line of the New Hampshire winters. The advantage of this method is really straightforward. By constructing the home in this manner, there was now no need for any interior load-bearing wall. This made every wall on the interior of the home non-load-bearing. Thus, it made it easier for us or any future homeowner to just lay out the interior of the home any way we wanted without doing that dreaded thing of taking out a load-bearing wall and having the house crash on top of you. You see, in our lives, we often build interior load-bearing walls of our own in an attempt to carry the load of our sins. And this is what Paul is fighting against in this text. Jewish Christians in the church have built up a load-bearing wall for their sin that is grounded in Old Testament law, the law in which they were raised. They are continuing to trust in their adherence to the law to help save them. But Paul's proof Here in Romans, that the Gentiles are included in the body of Christ by God's grace through faith 
And that means that the weight of their sin is now carried solely by Christ. Well, that changes everything because if the Gentiles can be saved by God's grace through faith alone, then that means so can the Jews. This is a complete 180 degrees for the Jews from their reliance on the Old Testament law. And naturally, it brings about their objection to being saved by grace through faith alone, and it becomes one of the major reasons for Paul's letter to the Roman church. But you need to know that in context today, before today's text, Paul has answered their objections in this letter. And today's text now becomes the culmination of his point. His final proof that we are only saved by God's grace through faith. But first, we're going to need a little help understanding God's grace, aren't we? So we should ask that question, what exactly is God's grace? And in today's text, the Apostle Paul takes us to one particular source. He takes us to Abraham. Now, I'm not positive that you are completely familiar with the complete story of Abraham, because it might have been a while since you heard it last. But suffice it to say that when God calls Abraham and tells him that he is going to be the father of many nations, well, Abraham had to believe that God was going to bring life from death. And the reason for this is because at the time of his call, Abraham is about 75 years old and his wife Sarah is 65. Her ability to bear children was in her past. To give them a child, God was going to have to bring life from death. And that is God's grace. Grace is able to take something that is dead and make it alive. To further prove that God can do this, well, he brings life out of the barren womb of Sarah some 25 years later. And Sarah is 90. So if you will pardon the pun, giving birth at 90 just seems inconceivable. I thought that would get a bigger laugh. Okay. But the point is, by God's grace, this can happen. God can take that which is dead in sin and make it alive. And Paul's point today is that you are living proof. He goes on to describe how Abraham received God's grace. And he makes it plain that it is by faith alone. Abraham had faith that believed that God would make something dead alive. And having witnessed God's grace already in the birth of his son Isaac, he follows God's command again to sacrifice Isaac because he knows that God has the power to make the dead alive and keep his promise. This doesn't mean that Abraham didn't have great difficulty in seeing that task through. After all, which of us, 
after hearing the word of God and actually understanding it to be the word of God, would still carry out the sacrifice of our child. Which means that, brothers and sisters, Abraham was faith in action. This is why Paul writes in verse 9 today that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And the righteousness of which Paul speaks here is really speaking about Abraham's salvation and his justification before God. Abraham received God's grace by faith alone. By faith, God's grace was brought to Abraham. And it is the same grace that renewed the womb of Sarah and brought forth the child Isaac. It is the same grace that spared Isaac from the intended sacrifice. Neither Isaac nor Abraham nor Sarah had anything to do with God's grace. And it was because it was his plan and his work all along. God's grace extended to Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac is what brought about the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and to you. For God's promise, his plan, and his grace was all his action and all for his glory. Sarah did not conceive and bear Isaac partly by God's grace. It was all by God's grace. Similarly, our salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, only by God's grace. Now, God's grace, it turns out, seems to come with some certain corollaries. One of which is faith. You see, you don't get the former, which is grace, without the latter, faith. And faith is not something that you actually generate by yourself. Rather, faith is the complete and sufficient work of God alone in you through the working of the Holy Spirit as you hear God's word. Therefore, grace is not the only gift you receive from God, for you could not receive grace until you receive that additional gift of faith. So what does this mean? It means that God provides the means for your salvation. That is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by Christ's sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection, he gives you not only his grace, but also the means by which you receive his grace. Do you now see why we glorify God? Look at all that he has done. He has given you the necessary sacrifice for your sins. He imputes Christ's righteousness to you now. He gives you his grace and the faith to receive it so that now, at this very moment, you are a child of God and an heir of his kingdom. What did you do? You had better say nothing. It is all God. 
But you might also be saying to yourself right now, wow, all I need is faith? How do I get that? Well, faith comes to you in many ways. By the working of the Holy Spirit through the water and word of your baptism. It also comes here in the Lord's Supper as you receive the body and blood of Christ. It comes to you by reading and hearing the word of God, by having conversations about your faith with one another and through prayer. Which means that right now, here at this moment, God is giving you faith. Thanks be to God. You want more faith? A stronger faith? Then be where the Spirit promises to come to you through God's word and sacraments. This is what God has established for your reception of his grace, the building up of faith and life everlasting with him. But going back to our little metaphor of a load-bearing wall, we have to ask, how do you know when you have built that self-serving load-bearing wall of your own making for your own sin? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Knock down the wall and see what happens. If it's not a load-bearing wall, you'll just have a mess to clean up. And if it is a load-bearing wall, well, that house will fall. You see, the Lord has already provided you a home. And he's built all the load-bearing walls for you. He covers you with the blood of Jesus Christ. He asks us now to pause and stop and think. What load-bearing wall have you made lately out of matchsticks for your self-justification that you just know in your heart is just going to utterly disintegrate before the throne of the Almighty? One of the most common things that reveals self-made load-bearing walls is doing comparisons between yourself and others. Let's see if any of these thoughts have run through your mind. If you're a child, this one's for you. You may have only disobeyed your parents, but you see your friends who have run away from home. You may only speak poorly of another, but somebody else actually strikes them physically. You may only look at somebody that isn't your spouse lustfully, but someone you know has had an affair. In your eyes, you're not as bad as some, if those thoughts have rattled through your head. And that's normal for us who are infected by sin, because we see the severity of our sin as something that we can use to self-justify ourselves and build our own self-serving load-bearing wall for our own self-justification. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. Our self-serving, self-made, load-bearing wall will fail us before God and bring our house crashing down on us. But thankfully, we have a God who has created that home with all the load-bearing walls we need. He extends his grace to us 
Because we are the ones who were dead. See, grace only comes to the dead. It is God who became our Savior in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who then became our load-bearing wall by living the life that you and I cannot live. And by bearing the load all the way to the cross, where he suffered and he died and he was buried. But you don't have a dead Savior, you have a risen Savior, one who has been raised from the grave, never to die again. And it is because of his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that you, by God's grace alone, have the forgiveness of your sins. The only thing that can now condemn you is a rejection of the faith that has been given you in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, on the last day, God's grace will come to you and raise you from the grave. He has promised. God's grace is able to raise you from the grave, to bring life to that which was dead and make you immortal and imperishable forevermore. Well, that brings us to Paul's last point. If God's grace covers the Gentiles, then it covers the Jews. If God's grace covers you, then it covers everyone. Comparison between sinners is useless towards salvation. Paul will later write in his letter, or Paul will write in his letter, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And later again, he will write, Therefore, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches, that is by his grace, on all who call on him by faith. You see, it is God's grace that has already called you from death to life. You've been given a new life in the waters of your baptism and are called to be one people. There's no more walls between you. Don't build them. In Christ, you are now one. One body. And together as his body, we are called to bring God's grace to the world. So now we pause and we ask humbly, Lord, bring us your wisdom, your power, and your grace to do just that right here in Oviedo. Amen. Now we go to our weekly awakening question, which is simply this. We ask you to reflect this week on this question. How have you tried to justify yourself before God? How have you tried to justify yourself before God?
Take some time this week to ponder that and share it with another. And you might see that your story is similar to somebody else's. Praise be to God for his grace. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.